there is this joy and this freedom that occurs when we let go of our fears and let God do what he wants with our lives. We all have something that we are ashamed of and it's very freeing when we give that to God and say, do what you want with it. That's, that's how he wants to use us. Not because we're perfect, but because he's making us perfect. All right. Well, welcome back to another episode of our Springfield Right to Life podcast. I'm with Betty Parkett, who has been a longtime friend, or at least past four or five years. Two years. Yeah, yeah, few years. I met your son, I guess, coming up on seven years now. Already. Yeah, seven years, which it's kind of crazy as it's like, it's like 40% of my life. <laughs> All right. I don't pull math on me. It's a lot less of my life. <laughs> That's right. You, you don't have to say. Yeah. So, Betty, you have an interesting story that I have heard at least some of. Um, I worked with your son on a, an interview that he did with you about your story in the pro-life movement. But before we get into that, I want to just ask you if you had to sum up who you are in one sentence. Oh, no. Just like who you are right now. Not who you've been, not who you want to be, just who you are right now. What, what is a, a one sentence synopsis of you? Uh, I have been redeemed. I am being redeemed. It's a process. Okay. It's a process. That's all I can say. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the person I was 40 years ago. I'll say that. <laughs> well, cool. What uh, What are some of the things that you amuse yourself with on a, a daily basis here? What are your your hobbies, interests? Mm. Um, I've got a horse that uh, I've had for 18 years that I like to ride on occasion, unfortunately. I love to sing. I canter at my church and uh, enjoy time with my daughter, who's the only one at home now. The boys are out of the house, enjoying walks with my family. Nice. Your horse, you've had the horse 18 years. I have. Is that your first horse or is no. that, no, you've had horses it's growing up? It's my third up? horse. Okay. Not growing up, I wish. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I had a very lively thoroughbred um, that you couldn't share with anybody, mm -hmm. which led to my second horse, which is a Percheron that you could share with everyone. Nice. You know, riding, driving, the whole bit. And now I've got a warm blood cross. She is half Percheron, half quarter horse thoroughbred. Yeah, she was a midlife crisis project. Okay. I was going to start her and have the first ride, which I did, glad to say. And then I was going to sell her. Mm. And 18 years later, I still you have still her. You still have her. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, it just no no interested buyers in the last 18 years? Is that <laughs> oh, they're actually, a bad horse market? There was one. She was almost in movies, I can say. We were like this close, but no, no, didn't mm. happen. But I'm glad. I'm glad. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, I want to get into your story a little bit. You're going to be speaking at our pro-life banquet at the end of this year here. I don't want you to give away your whole story here, but what is mm -hmm. a brief summary of your your pro-life story and how how that has guided your life so far. You said earlier that your one sentence summary was that you're being redeemed from what? Right. What does that, that look like? You know, I could say that I'm being redeemed from fear in my life that has been a very controlling factor since as long as I can remember. Going back to horses for just a moment, I think that's the 
only activity I've ever participated in as a child and, and growing up that I didn't feel fear, hmm. which uh, became a very healing thing for me to be able to have a horse in my life that yeah. I could, it was, yeah, God used that in a very healing way. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I was a very fearful child. I was very insecure. I didn't know my worth and my value. So as I went, you know, came into the teen years, I, I was really sought that in people, which was uh, very hurtful to me. I allowed myself to be to be used by people. That would have been the big thing in my life that led up to everything else. Having sex outside of marriage uh, is not a good, healthy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's what my college years were like. I left college um, and continued to seek affirmation in people and um, became involved in a really bad relationship with someone for two years who was abusive. And I knew that. And when I would try to leave this relationship, he would um, tell me that I would go back to the gutter that he picked me out of. Oh, boy. Yeah. I believed it. That's how low I thought of myself. Mm -hmm. And I and I felt like I really had no value or worth. So um, in that relationship, I had two pregnancies. The first one, I, I'm the kind of person that doesn't really hone in on dates all that much. Yeah. You know, when I say it's like, oh, maybe 38 or nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I, I want to forget those things. Right. Yeah. But there are some dates that do stick out. It was December and uh, found out I was pregnant and um, did not want to have an abortion. I did not believe in abortion, but I was pressured into it and I was naive enough to believe uh, the lies that were being told me at the time that, that, oh, this is just tissue. Actually, like pre-pregnant, mm-hmm. there is no such <laughs> thing. You're pregnant or you're not pregnant, you know, but yeah. but that's kind of the thing with, that was sold to me at the time. Um, but I, I did not want this and I, and I really was crying out for help. But I was, again, very fearful person mm-hmm. and very afraid to go to my family, very afraid of losing any, the, the little thread that of love that I thought that I was, you know, hanging on to with them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I allowed myself to, and I'm not, this was a decision that I can't really blame on anybody else, but I do say that I think most women are heavily pressured into having abortions. So yeah, I think I was just reading a statistic that said 64% of women claim that they felt coerced or pressured into an abortion. Yeah. And that's just the women who claim that. You know, right. I'm sure the number is larger because people don't want to admit that they that they were forced into something. They mm-hmm. want to to be able to claim independence. Well, they're hiding in fear right. as well, right? Because what will people think of me if they know? So they're not even talking about it. Mm-hmm. The more we find our voice, the clearer those statistics will get. Sure. Yeah, and you said um, that you got pregnant twice during yes. that time. I did. The second time, did so, you also have an abortion? Yes. So the second, so the second time, and this I think was probably within. They were within a year of each other. You know, there's a numbing that comes over a person when you've gone through something so tragic like that. Mm-hmm. So when I found that I was pregnant again, I just I could not believe here I am again. 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't even fight it. I felt pretty hopeless. So I went and really numbly went into this second abortion procedure. But I will never forget very precisely what occurred there. Um, the doctor examined me and said, oh, I can't do this. You're too far along. And I said, what? And he said, oh, no, it's just a big baby. Mm. He corrected himself. He said it's a baby. And then he began this procedure. And I am now like the scales are falling off of my eyes, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, he just said, baby, I don't want this. I don't want this. So I'm yelling at him to stop. Mm. And he's yelling at me to shut up and telling the nurse to shut me up and hold me down. So that was my experience. I wanted to get out wow. of there. I wanted, I wanted to save my child mm-hmm. because those lies that were told me before, now I know they're not true. Mm-hmm. You just had a doctor who, who specializes in abortions right? telling you that it's a baby. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and you know, it leaves me wondering, well, then how far along was I? Mm-hmm. If he's saying, no, I can't. And the mm-hmm. law is back then saying you can't do this procedure at certain cutoff point, you can no longer do it. Then was he stepping over that? And I was maybe into my second trimester. I I don't know. I don't know. Have you done any research to know like what the laws were back then in your area as far as Um, um, what that cutoff would have been? No, I haven't. And I'm kind of vague on it, but I really thought that it was um, seven weeks, maybe no more than nine. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, had you known that you were pregnant for a little while before that, or did you did you find out later? Just That's one of the before? fuzzy details okay. that I, you know, because yeah. because after all of that occurred, I was really living in a way to just numb all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, I was drinking heavily. Okay, I, I was drinking six days a week, mm. not Sunday. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> there was there was something still inside me because you know I I longed to be loved. And I longed to be loved by my creator, but I thought that I was not worthy of that. Mm-hmm. And so I was living that way, you know, and yeah. I was really numbing myself every day, but Sunday. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah. There's a, a Johnny Cash song, uh, Sunday morning coming down <laughs> where he's singing about, um, being drunk on Sunday morning and there's nobody there. Cause you know, it's Sunday. So they're mm-hmm. all at church or at <laughs> home. <laughs> It's just him out on the streets. But uh, I guess you were the other way. I was the other way. This is not Sunday. Mm -hmm. Some seed very deep inside me still wanted to somehow honor God, even if I felt like I was not Mm -hmm. worthy of his love. Did you grow up um, in a strong Christian family? I did. I did. Um, But I and I would say that um, in regards to my insecurities, my fears, I'm not, you know, I don't. I don't like going back and digging up things so that I can blame somebody. Mm-hmm. I love my family very much, but I would say that as far as my dad in my life, they're just, I don't think that he really knew how to speak to me mm-hmm. and my fears as a child and then as a teen. So we really lacked in communication. I know he loved me. Yeah. Um, he wasn't abusive in any way. 
he just was distant, Mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah, I think that's a common problem. It's not just your experience, but there's a lot of people who don't know how to parent um, and or they don't know how to parent a certain child because the child's Mm -hmm. very different from them in personality or whatnot. Right. It's a hard job. It is a hard job. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you had those two abortions and then Mm -hmm. later, uh, I'm assuming you got out of that relationship not too long after that. Yes. But I, but I was just jumping into other relationships Mm -hmm. to try to escape from that. Still running from that. And still running. Yes. Um, Yeah. And still very dysfunctional Mm -hmm. living my life. But I had probably about 10 years of running and doing things my way. Mm -hmm. And remember just kind of saying, all right, I'm done doing things my way. I don't know what to do. Um, You know, God, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Just kind of throwing that out there. I don't know what that is. I'm not expecting, you know something written and clear for me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, this is now we're going to proceed this way. No, just kind of almost a daily thought of what am I supposed to do? What do you want? Mm -hmm. And were you actually addressing that question at God or Mm -hmm. were you addressing? Okay. Yes. Yes. So, you know, it was a very gradual, I, I, here's what I find interesting is that for so many years, I had no gentleman in my life. Mm. (laughs) God is a gentleman. He doesn't push things. He knows it's very difficult for us to change, right? So you you if you give him that prayer and say, okay, what do you want? He's not going to change it all overnight. Yeah. It takes years to undo all that damage and baggage that I was carrying and and the fear that's underlying everything. Right. Because it's fearful to let go of things, you know, even if they're bad. But, you know, during this time of wondering what he wanted is when I met my my now husband, who is a very charitable, forgiving man. Mm -hmm. He understood my need to confess. He understood my need for mercy. And that is something that is uh, really, or in my experience, I felt is really lacking is um, it's not that it's not there. It's that people like me or that are in my shoes don't realize mercy is out there for them. Sure. You have the world telling you this is your right. Okay. So Mm -hmm. get over it. What's wrong with you? Right. They They try to say that there shouldn't be any problems. Right. And if there is any, there's something else wrong with you, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you've got then you're looking at the other side of things and going, okay, well, there's these people that are out praying on the sidewalks. They're never going to love me. If they knew what I was doing, if what I had done, they'll never forgive me. I'm this terrible person. It's those lies. It's the fear yeah. that is just. Well, you know, I, I've been out on the sidewalk praying for people before and in front of these abortion clinics. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally know what you mean. I, I hold extreme resentment for. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> of course, there's no hatred You're or anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I've met um, a couple people in my short time being out there who mm-hmm. 
are post-abortive or mm-hmm. um, were abortion-minded, and they're all they're all just hurting so bad. Oh yeah. And there's no like I can't imagine hating them or or anything it because they're just so mm-hmm. they're just such sad people. They're they're so there's such a sadness that oh yeah. That there's no room for me to be angry at them. Sure. There's a real heaviness in yeah. their heart, a real burden. They've never been able to grieve, never yeah. been allowed to grieve. Well, they've been told they don't have to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So going through the grieving process is very important. And having people around you who understand the need for that, mm-hmm. who aren't going to say, oh, you know, it it was the best you could do at the time or... Yeah. Whatever excuses they could come up with. No, we need to be there for people to allow them to say, this is what I've done and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Please forgive me. And then receive that mercy. We need to be the conduits of mercy for, for sure. them so that they can go through that grieving process. Yeah. And I think it's not just a problem with um, people being afraid of mm-hmm. sharing their um, their past decisions about abortion, but mm-hmm. it's also a fear of just being vulnerable about grief in general. Sure. Our society does not have a good approach to grief of any kind. Oh, no. No, they would rather celebrate the, um, the symptoms of someone who is in deep pain. Yeah. Then they would say, let's address, let's mm-hmm. name the pain so that we can grieve, so that we can heal. Right. Yeah. Um, very wise person said to me sometimes that, you know, God needs to open up those wounds in order to let that deep infection out. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's just going to fester and the sickness can take over the whole body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first time that you opened up about mm-hmm. this abortion, I mean, I'm assuming you're the man you were in a relationship with knew about the abortions. He was the one pressuring you. Right. Did anyone else at the time know about the abortions? Um, no, not at the time that I can recall. I was I was very afraid to tell anybody. Yeah. At some point, and I don't remember how it came up, but at some point there was someone that I knew that was experiencing an unplanned pregnancy. She wasn't married. She was undecided as to what to do. She was hiding it. I, I had at some point told her before this occurred for her because she had told me that um, the reason she could never go through with an abortion is because I had shared with her my pain. Wow. And so she didn't. Hmm. She had a beautiful child. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so wonderful to see God working in that. But really I kept it very uh, secretive, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, fearful again. Um, It did get out to my family in a pretty awful way. I, Mm. you know, women who have gone through an abortion or men who have participated, like I said, we said, they need to go through a grieving process, right? They may also need more extended counseling. And at one point I did, and this was um, prior to knowing my husband. Okay. I did at one point go through some counseling, but um, make sure the guy's licensed. Oh, okay. (laughs) bad experience. <laughs> I'm laughing about this, but it wasn't so funny then. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. He, he thought it was necessary to tell oh, my whole boy. family. 
Huh. Um, yeah. It's a little breach of confidentiality. Yes, it was. Oh, yes, it was. Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of a big to-do. Mm-hmm. Um, and difficult to handle. I, I wish that I would have been able to have said all of that myself. But as it is, that's how it was. Um, and after <laughs> the water settled a bit, yeah. you know, um, my mom did tell me she wished that she would have been there for me. Mm. So, you know, that was a very healing moment, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of how that all that came out. Um, so I really appreciated that. I did have some license counseling. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> a few years after that. Um, but even even then, though, it was it, telling people that I knew or that were friends with me, I, I was so scared to do that. Mm-hmm. And I uh, volunteered after being married and I, I was having my first child, firstborn child, mm-hmm. I was volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center. And um, this woman thought I should share my story. And she set it up with that I would speak to a group of teenagers at a at a church. Okay. And that was, yeah, that was the first time I did it. And it was a great experience doing that. And there were people there that knew me and were supportive and mm-hmm. heard my story as well. And they were it was great to have them at my back. Yeah. You know, but then it was just quiet for quite a few years. I did tell God, you can use my story. You can use me in any way you want. That's you know? a dangerous statement. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, he's a gentleman. Yes. Right. So he takes things in stages. Um, so I, I started telling, you know, if I felt prompted in conversation to tell one person, that's what I would do. And you know what? Surprisingly, I should say not so surprisingly. Oftentimes, the person that I shared with was post-abortive or they had Mm. somebody in their family that was suffering and they'd never uttered the words before. They'd been carrying that burden around for so long. So fear keeps all of us. Fear drives us to make these decisions Mm -hmm. that are so horrible in our life. Fear keeps us from sharing that. Fear keeps us from healing. Yeah. We don't talk to each other and we don't know the person and, next and then, to us is in such deep pain. Right. We allow by not sharing these experiences, then oftentimes it allows other people to fall into the same mistakes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm glad I found my voice. Well, good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, yeah, you want to fast forward a little bit. You know, you talk to a few people here and there and God says, I got a few more for you. Mm-hmm. And I got a few more for you. Mm-hmm. It's like. Every year, and this is interesting to me, is that every year it's about, you know, in, in it's in December and January, right? Oh, wow. It's kind of when, when I'm when naturally wanting you, to grieve. Yeah, you had that first abortion. Yes. Let me back up just a moment. Mm-hmm. I now have three uh, living children. And my middle child, my son, is uh, an artist. And he was born in December. Mm. which was a healing moment for me 18 years after my first abortion. And like I said, my son's very artistic and I've, I've always left this up to God in regards to, all right, Lord, if you want me to speak about this at some point, my children have to know. Yeah. Right. My older son had found out he'd gone on the March for life and came back and we had a talk. It was kind of very natural the way the conversation came up and I knew that was the time. But for the second son, he was looking to make a film and he wanted it to be on God's mercy. Mm-hmm. And he had recently found out about my abortion by finding 
a poem that I had written that was printed in a literary journal. Oh, okay. And it was a poem on my reflections of, I wrote it when I was pregnant with my third living child, my daughter. Yeah. And I had seen a uh, sonogram of her that looked like it was this perfect side view. And it looked like she was kneeling in the womb in prayer. Oh, nice. It was, it was beautiful. And I was just reflecting on everywhere God has brought me in this, this process and this yearly process, December and January yeah. of healing. So he had found that poem and um, we had many talks about it. He had a lot of questions and at that moment in his life, that time, he was wondering, what is what is mercy? What does that mean? What mm-hmm. it, does it mean for me? So he wanted to express that in film and interviewed a bunch of people around town and other states and, yeah. and all of that. But then he wanted actual uh, stories. Yes, yeah. stories, the real effect of that in your life. What does it look like? Right. So he asked me to tell my story on film. And I agreed to that. I thought, okay, you know, Lord, if this is what you're asking of me, then this is what I need to do. Yeah. And I really thought it was going to be something on YouTube that you mm-hmm. would put out and maybe 25 or 50 people might yep. see it, right? Yeah. If it goes viral, 100 people. <laughs> right, right, right. So, uh, and I and I had told this to our, our priest that my son was working on this and he said, oh, no, 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 no. You need a much wider audience. You, you need somebody to do this. For you. I'm like, I don't know anybody in this. <laughs> What? <laughs> so, uh-huh. No, no. Y- you really have to have somebody else working with you and getting it out there. Huh. I don't know how we're going to do that. So just kind of put out a message to some friends, you know, anybody know anybody. And long story short is that um, within two years, when my son was 18, it was shown worldwide oh boy. <laughs> on, on uh, EWTN. It was mm-hmm. in the United States and it was in Canada and it was in um, England and Ireland and Africa and the Pacific Rim. And oh, just, wow. it was crazy. That was crazy. Yeah. You're like, oh, wow. Okay, Lord. <laughs> you know, it's out there. But I also hadn't let my daughter know. And she was only eight, uh, eight and a half years old at the time. Nine. No, I'm sorry. She was nine. But that was just so young. And and for me, it was hard to tell my sons. And it felt like it was going to be even harder to tell my daughter, and yeah. especially at such a young age. But I just, I knew that she needed to know that from me and before the world would hear my story. Mm-hmm. And God was just all over that in that conversation. And all my, all my kids have been really merciful with me and very supportive so, yeah, I mean, now that we've done that, you know, then I get to be part of the 40 Days for Life mm-hmm. campaign mm-hmm. Um, this last Lent. And I and I spoke to more people, not in, not in front of a camera and one person, you know, um, but in front of hundreds of people that I could give a little bit of my story. So, I mean, like I say, it's 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 in these increments. It's small steps that God keeps giving us. And he's like, don't fear. Don't fear. He's always telling us, don't fear. Right. And we keep clinging to it. Somehow Mm -hmm. this fear is going to save me. And it's no, it's, it's keeping you stunted. Um, So I, I'm really grateful to be in the, the place that I am right now. And I, 
I have to say, it's very, very freeing. It's very freeing. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, once you lose any kind of fear, then there's just a huge weight that's lifted off your Absolutely. shoulders. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm more concerned with what God thinks of me. And I want to do my part so that other people won't feel the pain that I did. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. At the the banquet later this year, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be talking about uh, fear Yes. in this regard. I want to go back. You said at the beginning... You talked about your horse yeah. and uh, that's the one thing that you've never had fear. You know, when you're growing up, you didn't right. have fear when you were riding the horses, mm-hmm. uh, which is very important uh, with horse riding because <laughs> yes, it is. horses are skittish <laughs> animals. And if they sense fear, if you're not confident when you're riding them, oh yeah, you're going to be thrown off. There's no chance that I've it's going to work. I've been thrown many times, yeah. but you keep getting back on yep. and you keep getting back on. Yeah. Yep. So you need to have the, the courage to get back on the horse and then also to be firm with the horse mm-hmm. and you can't be afraid of the horse. Otherwise right. the horse is not going to listen to you. Right. So I just kind of like that, that idea that you've, uh, you've had all this fear, but yeah. the one thing, the one, one practice where you literally could not do it if it was, if you were afraid. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm really thankful that that fear is being uprooted. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, replaced with joy. Nice. You know, there's a, there's a free feeling when I'm riding my horse and there's a joy that comes with it. Right. But there is to the core, this joy and this freedom that occurs when we let go of our fears and, let God do what he wants with our lives. We all have something that we are ashamed of. We all have pains deep within us. And it's very freeing it, when we give that to God and say, do what you want with it. That's, that's how he wants to use us. Not because we're perfect, but because he's making us perfect. Mm. He's redeeming us. It, and it is a process, right? Well, there you go. Yeah. You're a, a redemption in process. I am a redemption in process. Yes, I am. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks for talking. So. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Yeah. We will talk later. Yeah. I look forward to it. Thank you, cool. Dennis. Take care, buddy.